Monday Night Live. Monday Night, well, it's Tuesday. Yeah, but I saw your post about CR being Monday Night Live. Oh, yeah. We had a live testimony last night. Monday Night Live. It's for live testimonies. I like it. Yeah. I like that adaptation. Yeah. 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 Is that a play on Saturday Night Live, I'm guessing? I think so. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not Monday Night Football. Uh, no. Yeah, Saturday Night Live. Um, right. <laughs> well, you've got two words. Well, sometimes we Monday do. Monday night. Um, very close. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're, we're exchanging football for live. We're exchanging Saturday for Monday. Mm. It's yeah. a reasonable. Yes. Well, knowing this, knowing this table, it's, it's not football. <laughs> well, well, no, look at the captain football over here. Yeah. The captain of football. You He's are got the football bible. This guy's a coach's bible. I yeah. Haven't seen it since. I know. I felt bad about that. What are you? You back to the message? <laughs> back to the message. I gave that one away to the nearest person I could find. <laughs> you seem like a coach. <laughs> yeah. Wait, are we responsible for the retirement? <laughs> the coach's bible. Yes, you are. Did you? Oh man, I'm sorry. Yep. Found somebody. With a I mustache. didn't realize we had that kind of go. power. Wait, what happened? There's to a it? few other things I'd like to retire. Oh, I'm completely kidding. Oh, no. okay. I still have it in my office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought it was missing. No. Oh, as if someone uh, took it. Yeah, as if another person wanted to be a coach. Mm. Wow. Yeah. A non-team player, Coach Nemeth. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I didn't borrow it. No. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, it's not my thing. Gotcha. At my speed. Yeah. Um, more, more about swans. <clears throat> what? <laughs> oh, because my hat. Yeah. Hat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is my hip hat. Yep. Show yeah. the hat to the people. <laughs> Again, <laughs> I don't endorse this company. It was a gift. I don't know. I don't know what they support. I've never even been to their. Let's say again. <laughs> again, because I think last time I I wore this hat. Again, I just need to go on record. I need to go on record saying that I have no affiliation <laughs> with this company. It's not like Chad and is grateful. Like you can't type yeah. in code code Coach Nemeth. To yeah. I don't even know what is the brand Huega, Huega House, Huega House. Yeah, yeah. You Boy. looked it up, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. And so for much younger people than my band, the doctor today called me middle aged. <laughs> she said <laughs> I had to go to the doctor because I've got this cyst on me or that I need to get removed. And she's another be concerned about just a middle aged guy with a cyst. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, that's a podcast title right there. Yeah, I'm just a middle aged guy with a cyst. So she's like, "You need to go see plastic surgery." She said, "She said I'm not even going to charge you today," which is very kind. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, at this point, I was, and I told her, "She said I'm not going to charge you." I said, "I wasn't planning on paying." I go, "The experience <laughs> thus far has been that it's been offensive, frankly." Yeah, <laughs> so. you've yelled my problem out to the waiting room, <laughs> right? Exactly. Oh, that was the worst. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was the worst. Nothing yes. to see here, people. Right. So you, but you, Chad, went on the website and looked at their stuff. Was it hip? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. It seems, uh, it seemed hip. It fits you better than you think. Okay. Yeah. I was talking to somebody on Sunday about this, uh, about dressing age appropriate, and how I find that at like forty four, going to be forty five soon, I'm not quite sure what to wear. Because um, some of the stuff that some of the styles that I like are younger. I think they're younger, and I don't know if I want to try to wear hip young people clothes with this old man face <laughs> but i don't know <laughs> i don't know well start by quitting on the word when do you stop when do you stop trying to be trendy do people stop normally what age do you think 19 19 20 
Is that when you stopped? <laughs> or are you still going? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm going. No, I don't know. I remember the moment I I first started. Okay. I remember in, uh, I don't know if it was sixth grade. No, it would have been at seventh grade at least. <clears throat> seventh or eighth grade because I was in uh, in the, the high school building. Um, I remember looking around and noticing what people wore. And yeah. Then, and then thinking, I've never thought about this at all. Yeah. And then, like, just after, I mean, I didn't get obsessed with it, but I remember that, like, there was a moment where I, like, had no thought of what I wore. Yeah. And then, like, something hit me, and I was like, oh, people think about this. They do. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. I was at a basketball game. Yeah, I was sitting in the stands at the basketball game with, you know, a bunch of my classmates and everything, and people in the school, and I don't know, I don't even remember what specifically about it, but I remember, like, yeah, the first time I thought about fashion or considering what you actually wear yeah how did you land on your guys's hairstyles did you see something i thought about that i can't really remember why why my hair is like this <laughs> I, I mean put me in a similar I, position i mean i, I grew but you've got really one. that different though when we first met we talked about this you yeah. had bangs right yeah. and and then there was a switch yeah where you started a side part and yes Yours has had a lot of different iterations since I've been here, Chad. Yeah. No, I guess I got a fade at my old barber shop, and then. But did I, you see somebody where you like, man, I want, you know? Yeah, I showed. I remember. Here. Yeah. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, I remember showing some pictures to um, my original barber in Cleveland, and then I moved to their a different location. They have in Avon Lake. Um, a, a girl cuts my hair there, and I just show her showed her the picture of my favorite fade that i got at the previous barber shop okay i said if you can get so close your inspiration this, for your hair was yourself well prior to that it wasn't okay me. okay it was from some other pictures but yeah once they got it right on my Here's head picture of myself like, can you make me. it look like this i mean come on it makes sense <laughs> it does <laughs> it's just fun to, it's fun to talk about who better to get inspiration for my new haircut me. I'm no. just putting myself in the barber's thought, position. I thought about that though. Like when you get a good haircut, you got you should take a picture of yourself, and then yeah. we go back. Just like, I this agree is, with this, this. Is what I want. Exactly. As a as a do this again. I'm thinking as a as <laughs> a barber saying. or a stylist. Yeah. Somebody says, <laughs> I brought a picture. Like, hey, you know, what are, what are we doing today? And they're like, oh, it's great. I brought a picture. Yeah. Can you make me look like this? It is a funny concept. It is yeah. a funny concept. I enjoy it. <laughs> like, if you could somehow make me look like this hunk of meat, like, I would yeah. love that. You had to be there. So, the, the, but the original picture that you saw was, or inspiration from it, do you remember what that was? No. I can't remember. That was a while ago. Yeah. We had, uh, when I was at Open Door, we had, um, Dress code and part of dress code was, you know, your hair couldn't yeah. be a certain length, like the, yeah. the back of the hair couldn't Could touch the, the collar. Ears. And yeah. yeah. And so, but I had the boy meets world hair, but I never watched that show. It's what every skater had. Yeah. So the kid from uh, Terminator two had that long yeah. hair in the front. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. You and did have that Sean from boy meets world. I hair. did. Yeah, that's I, right. I did. And oh, wow. it, again, it wasn't, a, didn't watch the show. Uh, but yeah, everybody just kind of had. I just looked around and was like, everybody seems to have this. But how I have what I have, what I have now is managing where it's going, I think. Because, <clears throat> you know, I have always had a widow's peak, but it's getting more pronounced the older I get. So now it's like the longer my hair gets, the more pronounced that gets. I would love to try long hair, but it just has made me look much older. Not that I'm opposed to looking my age, but I also don't want to look like, you know, 10 years older than I am now. But yeah, I don't remember 
what uh, what prompted this hair hairstyle. Can't remember. It's different all the time. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, do you have you remember that fashion moment? You remember that hair moment? Or you just. I mean, I had the same hair. My mom cut my hair growing up, and oh, okay? it was just the same. And I just would like get shaggy, and like, and then college, it was just kind of a continuation of that. Yeah. And did you ever have longer hair? <clears throat> I mean, I would let it get pretty shaggy. Would you? Um, to my parents' chagrin, but yeah, um, I never had long hair that like sat to my shoulders or anything like that. Yeah. What was the hair for? Uh, Ar- Aravis. Erebus? Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty it was pretty shaggy. shaggy. It yeah. seems like shaggy hair for the Erebus. Yeah. Is that Air- correctly said? Erebus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had to really think about it. Finally got it. Cuz I want to say avarice. <laughs> I know. I, I know. <laughs> I can never remember. Erebus. Never read in CS Lewis? Uh yeah, CS Lewis. It's um, from CS Lewis. Mere Christianity was the first book I read as a Christian. It's been lying, which in the wardrobe. Yeah, so I read okay. the Bible first. Mm. I mean, the Bible was there, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> the Mere Bible. I went to my barber and I said, <laughs> <laughs> Can yeah. you recommend a good place to start <laughs> yeah. my, my faith walk? And they said, "See us." It was in tandem with the Bible. No, <laughs> How was the woods? Oh yeah, that was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. that was it. Yeah. I was very <laughs> excited. <laughs> Neil was more excited. I was. My I should have. It's okay. I should have uh, tempered my I question. I knew you were going to ask me about it. I know. I knew I was going to get flack for how I responded. No, you're doing fine. I saw. I I foresaw all this. Yeah. Did you? This oh my. <laughs> no, it was great. We had yeah. an awesome time. It was. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, and you went to that. You went to the Mohicans. It's in. Uh, the Mohican area, but the place is called the Mohicans. It's a bunch of tree houses and some cabins. They have some cabins too. Did you see the photos? <clears throat> no, I didn't see photos. Yeah. You have to show me. Um, yeah, they're uh, each tree house has like a theme, and they're very like they're not just like it's not just a box up in the tree. Like they're very well made and very very modern. I would say even like the bathrooms and the kitchens are like it's um, they're nice. Um, but yeah, we had a good time. The first night it was really windy, like it stormed and uh, it was really windy. And so we had to learn all the sounds of the treehouse. Oh, yeah. Because it, like, it made tons of sounds that sound like people were breaking in. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, but then the next night wasn't so windy and it wasn't <laughs> so bad, but it was, well, like they warn you actually in the, when they send you all the, you know, prep emails, like what to bring and all that, they said... Um, you might, you might not be used to the silence cause it's, it's so far out in the woods and like a lot of people aren't used to it being so quiet. I'd have brought a sound machine. Like, well, that's what they, that's why they said it. They yeah. said you might want to bring a noise machine or yeah. cause people just aren't used to the quiet. And, uh, and we, we actually had a hard time sleeping the first night cause the wind was real bad. People were coming to get you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, night. like, cause you don't know what sounds are normal. Yeah. Right. But well, on top reasonable. of it, like the wind, like it is a tree house. So like it's moving. And that was most of the sound was it moving in the wind. And then the wood was creaking. Oh yeah. And, uh, and it was, some of it was pretty loud. Um, but you don't know what is normal. Like you wouldn't know what it, right. if a burglar was breaking in. Cause it just, there's so much sounds going on. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was a lot of fun. We went hiking. Um, was it foggy? It was really it was foggy. Very foggy. Yeah. It was foggy. I took Henry to school one morning and I got off the highway. <clears throat> yeah. I decided to go down to Detroit because I'm like, it's just too foggy. I can't see. Yeah, it was foggy the cargo. whole time. But it, the weather, like it almost hit, it was like in the 50s almost. Like the weather was great for hiking. Yeah. Um, it, but it was foggy and like misty. Like 
Kind of cool. It was actually really good. Yeah, it was yeah. actually perfect weather because be it, it kept everyone like there was nobody else on the trails, but it had rained a bunch, so like the waterfalls and stuff were were flowing. Mm. Um, so it was it was it was good. Do yeah. you have hiking boots like legitimate or you just shoes? Yeah. Do you okay? Yeah, I got. Hiking Do you boots. have hiking boots? Mm. I don't have those. Yeah. yeah. I guess I don't go hiking. It's a good investment. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you're going to go. It's a little young for you. Yeah. Is it? Okay. It felt like that. Yeah. <laughs> Too hip. Does, does Juega, Juega House sell hiking boats? No, <laughs> they, they weren't in the shoe. They were in the shoe. Okay. The, the shoe, shoe game. game. Yeah. yeah. And you guys went to that uh, Kitchen Nightmare Castle, right? Yeah. Uh, Landol's Mohican Castle is down there. What did you um, guys get there? We went for breakfast. Okay. So... Um, there's also like you can stay at the castle. There's hotel rooms there and all that, but we just went for brunch or breakfast one morning. Do you remember what you got? Uh, I got the special, which was like Sal Magundi. Oh, Are you? I didn't. I've never heard this word before, but no, I don't know what that is. It's like potatoes and onions and peppers and cheese and like a hash. Kind of like a hash. Yeah, it's like a fancy word for that a hash. Good. Uh, it was good. Got bacon on it. Um, Brandy got something very similar, except she had uh, like short ribs on hers. So, yeah, we uh, we were there. I think we got there around nine by the time we got moving and got got over there, and uh, ordered coffee. And so uh, we're like, okay, it'll it'll be a minute. We're just gonna have to make it. It's like it's nine o'clock on a Friday morning. Yeah, you would think. Were that. you not? Was it, were you not expecting they this? Were anticipating, <laughs> not, right. anticipating coffee here? It's probably, I would say, one of the more popular morning drinks, <clears throat> which was okay, which is fine. It didn't take long, but then the next table, when we were about to leave, I heard them order coffee. I go, okay, uh, this, yeah, uh, it'll be a minute. We're gonna have to make it. Dang. And then I'm like, what is their coffee system here? Yeah. Are they doing this by the cup? Yeah, they must be doing pour overs. Yeah, pour well, maybe it was. It was good coffee. Yeah, it's probably not I bet Keurig. That's what then. it was. I, it, I don't. It couldn't have been a Keurig. I've no. never had a Keurig that tastes as good as that. Did. French press. This is could be a press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, it could have been a press. Yeah. Anyway, but the castle was cool to see. Yeah. It's off season, so like it was pretty dead. Um, is then, it large? I can't remember <clears> from the. Yeah, it's a good yeah. sized property. Yeah. Like there's a, there's several buildings on the property. Like the castle is itself. Like there's the castle, but then they have like other little kind of. They're not full cabins, but they're like rooms you can stay that are separated. And then there's the restaurant. The restaurant's called the Copper Mug. Okay. And it's separate. So um, you can actually stay at the castle. I yes. didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. It's a hotel nice. and restaurant. Yeah. Nice. Then we went to Mohegan Lodge, went to the lodge, walked around there a bit, and did some hiking. Did you have a cake on your birthday at any point? Did I have a cake? Um, yeah, the night before we left, uh, the kids and Brandy got me uh, a pie. Really, birthday pie, ice cream pie. Oh, from Mitchell's. From Mitchell's. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so we okay. celebrated with the kids the night before we left. What flavor? Um, turtle. Turtle. Yeah, made with turtles. Yeah. Did the kids have that? It's an the rest endangered of the pie. <laughs> what? What's that? <laughs> the kids have that the rest of the weekend without you? No, no. <laughs> they were no. They no. They got shipped to. Grandma. So do you have some pie left or is it all gone? So, yeah, you got well, we came home after the week, after and ate the rest. Yeah. Nice. The rest. It's gone now. Yeah. Okay. No, they didn't get any more. <laughs> I've heard of those. I don't think I've ever had one. The Have you had one of these? I haven't had it, no. Okay. I, I definitely know about them. So I've we've had uh, we've okay. had the ice cream cake from Mitchell's. And okay. we were, oh, we were, this is different. Yeah. Then. We were disappointed. Really? 
Yeah, it's 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 no, inferior. No DQ. It's inferior to DQ. You can't do Dairy Queen. Yeah, <clears throat> you can't beat it. Yeah, it's not as good as Dairy Queen. Yeah, the pie though is ten times better than both. Yeah. What What's the difference? I'm trying to. It's all ice cream. I don't know. What the, the crust is amazing. Is that okay? The so there's an actual almost, crust. Yeah, the crust is almost my favorite part. Um, yeah, I enjoy a good crust. And then the, the topping, it was topped with like a layer of fudge, and I don't know. I just remember not being impressed by Mitchell's ice cream cake. I'm not a huge ice cream cake to begin with. Yeah. Like, I like my ice cream pretty standard. Like, that's all my family wants. Like, all of them. Like, when they ask for their birthday, they all want ice cream cakes, including Brandy. I'm just like, it's okay. Even I'm, Dairy Queen? I love a Dairy Queen. Well, Dairy Queen's cake. is the best. I'll yeah. give you that. Like, yeah. it is the best. So good. And that's how my family feels about, yeah, Dairy Queen. Like, they're all, they love it. Yeah. I'm just like, it's okay. Well, we should all get a pie after this to share. Mitchell's pie. It yeah. was yeah. I was I loved it. it we didn't great. celebrate yet with you, so I know I was. Well, I didn't <laughs> want to bring that up, but I wasn't going to be the one to say it. Did it, Did anybody else text you? Did anybody your, else text me on your birthday in the staff or just me? <laughs> did anybody else text you? And there's like anybody else on the staff. I figured text you me? didn't have reception. <laughs> oh, is that what you figured? Yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. We had no reception at all. Yeah. Um, Somehow mine got through. I, I, well, if we walked up <laughs> to the to road, the highest mountain. <laughs> you could kind of get reception if you held up. <laughs> yeah. uh, I did that until I got a text from Neil and then I stopped checking. <laughs> I got on the roof of the church <laughs> and like Elijah prayed, it wouldn't rain. <laughs> That's what I needed. I held up my Bible as a lightning bolt struck it. <laughs> I held out my phone. I held up my phone. Brandy yeah. held up my arm. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> until I got the notification. <laughs> yeah. I was up uh, early because Andrew gets up really early and I was going to text you early. But yeah. I thought, why not? He's on, you know, you know, vacation. I want to do that. Well, <laughs> we still had to get the kids to But school. I figured, yeah, yeah you got to take the kids to school like, anyway. So yeah. I think I waited until around nine or right around there. Yeah. And I knew you weren't leaving until around I wasn't even out of town by then. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't yeah. even gone yet. Yeah. No. So I had paid attention when you had shared with me that uh, <laughs> you were going to leave until noon. And you were the only one that put thought into it. Well, you're the only one that put any thought into it. You're the only one that texted me. <laughs> That's right. That's all right. So, anyways, you Sorry. can get him a pie if you want. <laughs> well, you still have to split. <laughs> Make this oh, still- <laughs> well, I'm not paying for that. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, welcome to the Atrium. This is the Hope Christian Church podcast. Uh, this is uh, episode 76, I believe. That's correct. My name's Neil. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope, and you are? My name's Chad. I'm the student pastor, and this 40-year-old is? Mm. I'm Mark. I'm the adult pastor. Yeah. Yes. That's good. I'm fully an adult. Fully an adult now. You made it. Middle aged. I'll give you my dermatologist's I'm information. She'll she'll <laughs> remind you gently. You're not far <laughs> off from hearing the words. This is a middle aged man with a cyst. With a cyst. <laughs> Nothing to be concerned about. Just a middle aged man just with what a cyst. At your age. I was like, is this necessary to <laughs> hone in on that? Uh, but uh, yeah, she's uh, she was spunky. She had a lot of personality. Hurtful personality, but uh, oh man, personality nonetheless. Yeah, episode uh, 76, we had a special guest preacher on Sunday, Misael yeah. Cruz uh, from Mexico City. We have been partnering with Misael. I can't remember when we started. It's got to be, I mean, he's only been partnering with CMF for nine years. I think we have been with him like maybe six. Bob said it was right, pretty much right after he six or seven. came on staff here. Yeah. He went down there. Yeah, to so scout it out. Yeah, it wasn't too long after. I mean, <clears throat> I think maybe, maybe even eight now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's uh, 
He's in Mexico City. He was sharing with us uh, on Sunday that there's about 25 million people in Mexico City. It's split up into these, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, these like 16 different districts. And uh, districts are all over the map. You know, wealthy districts and then impoverished places. And so their church is a community-focused church on some of those more impoverished areas. And um, he's been doing that work, uh, again, through CMF for almost nine years. He's been connected with CMF for nine years, but I think affiliated. He got his affiliate status about eight years ago. So he was coming in town. He's doing a little bit of a, we'll say a U.S. tour, so to speak, of churches that he partners with. And so it worked out where he could come uh, during our Now What series. And I thought it would be great to have him preach and to preach that tell sermon. Uh, because here's a guy that's you know really focused on evangelism in the in the community. I wouldn't say as a church, we are focused on evangelism. We're focused on discipleship through connection more than anything at Hope. Um, <clears throat> we're not uh, a, a church that, like Misael's church, is, is going out in the community as much. Uh, we uh, you know, are here, and we certainly want to share that gospel message, but Hope is you know, of those, the two, the discipleship through conversion and connection, which we talked about in the first sermon uh, in the Now What series pretty much every year, we tend to focus more on connection, you know, small groups, uh, helping people worship and grow and serve and, and tell. Uh, their mission is very different there. You know, they're in a place where they will get the unchurched in, in church. It's, I've been at Hope for 14 years, and I've met I could probably count on one hand the number of people that I've met that have never been in a church before that show up to, to Hope, and this is like the very first church that they've been to. Uh, it's not the case where Misael is at. <clears throat> a lot of what they are experiencing are people that have never been in a church. They're hearing about Christ or um, you know the organized church or being a part of it or attending it for the very first time. And so when I look at that tell the uh, sermon, and you know, tell being certainly more focused on evangelism, I thought it'd be great to have him come in and share. And so... Just gave him the kind of the background on the vision and the mission and um, you know theme for the year and wanted to give him freedom to um, you know share uh, what the Lord put on his heart and what he extrapolated from the text and so what he did is he did an acrostic of that word tell and the, and, um, the words were you know travel engage lead and then lavish and the idea is uh, to travel uh, go it's the Matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty go. To all nations, and so that's the traveling portion of it. And, and that I would say to me was one of the things that stood out the most was he was talking a lot, and talking about go and talking about traveling and talking about being willing to travel when it's uncomfortable. And I thought about that, and I thought about how we are, and you know, certainly you know, in the United States, but just people in general, we we do everything we can to be comfortable. You know, we we came into this room this afternoon; it's cold in the room again. We need another space heater. Why are we doing that? Because it's cold. We want to be more comfortable. Um, and so a lot of what we do is geared towards comfort. And one of the things that Misa was pointing out is that when when we go, when we travel, evangelism you can often be very uncomfortable. In fact, you see very little comfort in the evangelism that takes place in in Scripture. And so being willing to to sacrifice that comfort for that mission to to travel. And then when you go, you're engaging. It's it's purposeful. Uh, you lead through example, uh, and then you lavish. You lavish love, and he ended things with the importance of of love. And so very thankful for Misael and his wife Yola that were here and their willingness to travel. And um, 
I just want to encourage our, our listeners and our viewers just to continue to pray for them in their mission. We're hoping to get to see them on a mission trip next year. That's the plan. The plan this year is to get to Missions of Hope in Africa and then next year. Maybe do both trips. Maybe just do me say, oh, we'll see. We'll kind of see how, how things go and where the um, kind of the climate is uh, culturally. So, yeah, excited to to be able to partner with him and just encourage you to continue to pray for him and his mission and that the Lord would use them in a, in a powerful way. And this week, uh, we are going to start a 16-week series in Romans. It's a very, <clears throat> I would say, bird's-eye view type of series. It's not going to be, you know, we're not taking the time to go verse by verse by verse. Um, and that's why the encouragement on Sunday for me was make sure that you're reading these chapters ahead because we're going to pull out some key sections, some key verses uh, from these chapters and just start to get familiar with the book of, of Romans. One of the things I'm going to talk about on Sundays, Romans can be a very intimidating book. I don't care who you are. And uh, there's a lot of meat there. It's a very rich book. It's a very uh, meaty book. It's a very... Um, I would say it contains a lot of themes that are challenging and certainly countercultural in today's uh, world. And so we're gonna we're gonna kind of go through at a maybe a you know one hundred one maybe two hundred level type of uh, pace with this, and then in a few years we'll revisit it again and start uh, maybe digging a little bit deeper. But looking forward to doing that as well. Today, however, we continue on the path of the airing of Calvin, Calvinist grievances. <laughs> well, with Romans, real quick. Yeah. Um, I know a grow group here is going through Romans from the, um, oh, why is it slipping my mind? Right Now Media? Right Now Media, yes. They're yeah. going through the Roman study. It's um, Pastor Zach Melcher. Yeah. His wife, Marissa, their grow group is going through that, mm -hmm. and they're getting ahead of the series. Yeah, so great. kind of going tandem with it. So that might be a good idea <laughs> for grow groups out there to yeah, sure. tag along with that. Yeah, and with Miss Oh Misael, I went to see them. 2018 was the last trip we did. Yeah, okay, wild, that's right. You went on that trip. Yeah, wild to see him preach in fluent Spanish there at that church, and see all the evangelism that church does, and then see him preach, just animatedly. Oh boy, <laughs> with a lot of power, with a lot of excitement yeah. in fluent English. Yeah, I was like, this is incredible. It so, really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I. I put me at his church i wouldn't be able to do what he did yeah you know in fluent spanish yeah yeah he's a very a gifted guy and just a very kind heart yeah yeah he's a good good dude so question question number five out of the uh the grievances here of calvinism what we've been doing over the last several weeks is going through so far we've answered questions like armenians have a difficult time with romans 9 as calvinists do with john 3 a god who loves the whole world only love the elect uh, we talked about uh, how could the world in John 3.16 mean only the elect. We talked about why Calvinism seems to downplay the work of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues or speaking to us and receiving visions, healing in Jesus' name, decreeing, declaring things, having authority in Jesus' names. We talked about baptism of the Holy Spirit, being led to do uh, things by the Spirit like extended times of worship. And the last week we talked about how we are predestined to heaven or hell as humans. Do we have free will? And we talked uh, a lot about, you know, what that means, free will. Does it, does it exist, how we understand it to exist? And today we're going to dig into another question. Mark, would you like to read question five sure. for us today? Can a believer who thinks they are elect, which maybe according to Calvinism they are, choose to turn away from God? Do they still have, 
<clears throat> do they still make it to heaven since Calvinism teaches perseverance of the saints? Or do they lose their salvation by denying Christ and possibly committing the ultimate sin? Hmm. All right. So this question, at the heart of this question, is um, one of the five uh, points of Calvinism. We've mentioned it in the past few weeks, uh, the acronym TULIP, um, well, the acrostic TULIP. Um, this is the final letter, the letter P in TULIP, perseverance of the saints. I want to open that up a little bit and explain it to know what we're talking about before we answer the question. Perseverance of the saints. This is the idea that the saint or the Christian, the believer, ultimately will persevere in their faith to the end. So the, the, the believer uh, is to summarize once saved, always saved. Once you are a Christian, once Christ has regenerated your heart, uh, given you faith, you've repented, you've accepted Christ, you've achieved and received salvation, um, you, from that moment on, you will be saved. Um, once saved, always saved. This is counter to what Arminius taught and his five points that responded to Calvinism's um, made five major points uh, did not teach perseverance of the saints that ultimately you could lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved is not biblical. The Bible teaches that uh, you can be saved. You can know Christ and then lose your salvation. So with the doctrine, how does this tie into the doctrine of election? If we are elect, if there is an elect that the Bible teaches, uh, then can the elect ultimately lose their salvation? Can they turn away from God? Uh, because it certainly seems like that happens sometimes. People will come to Christ or uh, be believers um, or seem like they're believers and then ultimately reject, apostatize, go away from the faith, walk away, deny God, the whole nine yards. So... Um, <clears throat> How should we start this question? So many places to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to, yeah. So this goes back to what we've already been building into with the previous questions. Uh, specifically last week, when we were talking about provenient grace. When Christ died, did he make everybody savable or did he actually save people? So I believe that the Bible teaches that when Christ died, he died for his sheep. He knew who his own were, his own knew his voice and know his voice. He selected them and he died for them and he saved them. So that means if Christ has saved you, then you are saved. And no matter what you do, you can't lose that salvation because it's ultimately not up to your will. So who can resist the will of God? We read that in Romans 9 last week. Who can resist the will of God? Nobody. If it's God's will that you're saved, you're going to be saved. And Jesus says as much. John 10, 28. Mm -hmm. Well, 27 is the verse I just quoted. My, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay? So that's how you know if someone is one of the sheep. They follow Jesus. That's how you know they're a believer, they're a Christian. A simple concept, easy idea. A tree is known by its fruit. They follow me. The next verse, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
All right, so he says, I give them eternal life. And we put that focus last week when we were Romans 8. We were talking about how God does it all. God does it. It's God doing it. I give them eternal life. They don't accept eternal life or they don't they don't take eternal life for themselves. He's saying, I give them eternal life. The Father's called them and Christ has given it to them. They will never perish. So their their salvation is secure. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's an interesting expression, mm -hmm. interesting phrase there. Why would Jesus say that to his disciples? No one will snatch them out of my hand. What what is Jesus? What is he trying to uh, to communicate? What's he trying to uh, put his disciples at rest for? Who could snatch them out of his hand? Who? The enemy, right? The enemy. Yeah. Maybe, you know, other people. We could think of that. I don't know. But really, these are the disciples who have been with Jesus and understand his lordship, mm -hmm. or at least they're starting to understand his lordship at this point. They see him command the wind and the waves. Mm -hmm. Even nature obeys him. I don't think they're worried about some Joe coming along and, right. and putting at risk their salvation. So... He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. He's, I think, pr pr predominantly talking about the enemy, yeah. talking about the one who's trying to counter-oppose the works of Christ. That's what, that's what Satan is doing. Satan is trying to oppose the work of God. The work of God is salvation, and S Satan is trying to counter that. So no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is saying this for assurance of the believer, and and this is not just a Romans thing. This is not just a Ephesians thing. This is all throughout the New Testament that we have to have assurance of our faith. If we don't have assurance of our faith, it becomes a lot harder to live in this world next to impossible. Assurance of our faith, I believe, almost goes hand in hand with having having faith at all, is being assured of it. And if we are in this spot where we can lose our salvation, we have no assurance. We just don't. If if Christ saved us and he died for us and we believed and he gave us faith, we repented and we are a believer and we we may we still, after all of that, after everything Christ did and the mountains he moved to come to this earth, after all of that and we still aren't sure that we're saved, how can we how can we even be expected to to continue? Mm -hmm. What's the what's even the point of faith? Right. What's even the point of, of of having faith and and our hope? How do I? So, Jesus is saying this to assure us: no one will snatch him out of my hand. Paul's going to echo this in Romans eight when he says, "You know what can separate us from the love of Christ?" And then he goes down the list, the laundry list of all the items of anything you could think of: angels and demons, you know, sickness, death, starvation, anything. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. So the question is, <clears throat> first of all, it says, can a believer who thinks they are elect, which maybe according to Calvinism they are, and I'll say the wording of that question is, 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 is problematic because you're not elect according to Calvinism, you're elect according to Scripture. This idea of the elect is not something that Calvinism invented. People, I think sometimes people think that, that this concept of the elect is, is an idea that's superimposed into Scripture from theologians. The idea of the elect 
is in Scripture. <laughs> it comes from the Bible. You have to define the elect either way. So maybe you can define it through an Arminian view, but the elect is not, it's not this idea that comes from Calvinism. Christ talked about his elect. He talked about the elect basically almost synonymously with his sheep. The elect are his sheep. Re uh, Revelation tells us that the elect are going to be gathered from the four winds. Um, and last week in Romans 9, we talked about for the purpose of election, for the purpose of election to continue, it was about God's will and not human will. So, if a believer who thinks they're elect, which may be according to Calvinism, can choose to turn away from God, ultimately the answer to that is no. And this goes again back to last week in our discussion of the will. Uh, when I preached last Sunday, I talked about how we are uh, given the ability to grow into Christ based on faith. We can only grow into a Christ-like uh, image because we have initially been given faith. I use the analogy of the orange and the apple. An, an orange seed grows into an orange tree, but it can never grow into an apple tree. To be an apple tree, and using this the, as, as an orange tree being a non-believer, apple tree being a believer, you have to be converted to an, an apple seed. And that's what happens at faith. You're converted into something that can be turned into what God wants it to be. But even that process of being turned into what God wants you to be is, is orchestrated by God. God is doing the work. This Now we're bringing in this idea of God's providence and how closely he is interacting with his universe. We talked about the sovereignty of God. And I bring up a lot of these topics, but they're all interwoven together. Uh, we talked about the importance of God's sovereignty last week because it touches on everything, including this. God is sovereign over every act of salvation. <clears throat> that means he's also sovereign in what he started in salvation. I'm confident that the one who started a good work in you will see it through to the end. Philippians. He's saying, I'm confident the good work started in you, which is salvation, that Christ will see it through to the end. So you are not saved and then put back out to the, to the wolves. You're not saved by Christ and then just left to your own devices and, and hope to God that you do good enough to actually earn your salvation by the end of your life. Because that's what it becomes. If you, you can lose your salvation, if it's up to you, you will lose it. Or you will do something that will disqualify you from it. So if God saves us and then puts us right back where we were in a state of we can sin or we cannot sin, and our salvation hinges on that, we're going to mess it up. <clears throat> yeah. How do we know that? We know that because of Romans 7. Paul wanting to, Paul struggles. He does stuff he doesn't want to do because he knows that he shouldn't do it, but he can't, he just can't help himself sometimes. It seems like there's this internal battle because the flesh is still married to the spirit. And so if that's the case where we're just thrown back out to the wolves, then we have no assurance of our faith. God is not sovereign over salvation. He just plays a part in it. It's just partially his salvation. And then ultimately for us to achieve salvation, it's on us. Our, our good works have to endure to the end. So our scripture, actually, Jesus said our good works have to endure to the end. That's a mark that you know you're a believer. Scripture also says if we mess up, we have somebody to intercede for us. Mm -hmm. 
And that person is who? It's Jesus. <laughs> it's the same person who's guiding and sovereign over our salvation. I read this last week, Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, those he predestined, predestination, that idea ties closely. It's not the exact same, but it ties closely into the elect. He, Those he predestined, he also called. So he predestined, then he called. So at some point in your life, you are called by the Father. Jesus says the Father has to draw anyone to me first, to, to Jesus. Those whom he called, he also justified. Justified is that, that act of salvation, that you are made at peace with God. Through Christ's work, your bill has been paid because Christ paid it. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorified is this process of following Christ's footsteps from uh, the moment we're saved to eternity, to glory. Christ was glorified. He was taken up into heaven, and we'll follow in that, in that path one day. So there's the plan of salvation. He predestined, he called, he called, and he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Christ is sovereign over every act of salvation. It is not according to our will, it's according to his will. So if it's his, if it's his will to save us, he is going to save us. We cannot resist his will. So what happens though, because we see through experience, it seems like people are super on fire, love Jesus, come to church, whatever, have their church camp high and you know, get baptized and five years later, yeah, they're gone. Parable of the sower. There's those who are excited once they hear the word of God as if it's a scattered seed and they're just on rocky soil or soil with thorns, something's gonna choke out that excitement. Some some kind of temptation is gonna choke out that excitement. Or su when suffering comes, you're gonna go, mm, this isn't what I thought. This isn't what I was sold. Yeah. You know, and it happens to this day. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to talk about the difference. You talk about the difference between belief and faith all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably use some different language today, but yeah, that's yeah. the same idea. So, yeah. and so, um, what do we do with that? Yeah. The prodigal, prodigal son, you know, he was in the house. He was a son. He mm -hmm. left. Uh, what, what happened there? Did the son apostatize? Did he, did he lose his salvation in that analogy? Um, ultimately we know he didn't because he returned to that, to the, to the father's house. So the question is, did he lose his salvation when he was out on the road living for the world, living for himself rather and feeding the pigs? People say, well, yeah, of course he was gone. I would say, did he ever stop being a son? No, he didn't. No. Second, did he come back? Yes, he did. Mm -hmm. Did God know he was going to come back? Yes, he did. And so there's the there's that fine line that if we believe that we are in control of our salvation and we can ultimately leave the faith, then that means God has kind of a, at best a blurry view of the future. He can't see into the future. He doesn't know what's ultimately going to happen. That means he's not sovereign. And again, that means we can't trust him. We can't be assured of our faith because we can't trust a God who doesn't know how things are ultimately going to turn out. Ultimately, God knows if you're going to be saved or not. He knows it. What that path looks like, if it looks like 
you know, you're baptized at 10 and you live a faithful life until you're dead. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're baptized at 30 and then you walk away for 10 years and then you come back at 40 and then you're on fire till you die. God ultimately knows what that path is. He, he, he knew it before you were born. So what happens with people like that? What happens to people like that that don't come back? That's answered in 1 John 2. Mm-hmm. Most of, um, not most, uh, well, actually most, most books in the New Testament, all but one, warn of false teachers and warn about falling away. And that's what's happening in 1 John 2. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So there's that argument of false teachers, of Antichrist, that were with the church and left the church. People who seemingly were in the church, in the body of Christ. They're gone. What happened to them? Were they ever believers? He said, no, they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they're not all of us. Ultimately, your works will reveal who, whose you are. Your works will ultimately, at the end of your life, reveal whose you ultimately are, if you belong to yourself or if you belong to the world or if you belong to the evil one, which is equivalent to self. <laughs> um, your works will ultimately call you out. So these people who went from the church um, were, never truly part, were never truly part of the church. And Jesus says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pull out all the weeds in the church right now mm-hmm. um, for sake of pulling uprooting some of the some of the wheat, the wheat and tares. Mm-hmm. So we know that within the church there are non-believers, but we also know there are believers. Ultimately, we will be revealed by our works, but ultimately our salvation does not rest in our works. If it was, our salvation would be lost. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and he will bring safely home those who have faith in him. All right, I've talked enough. Yeah, good stuff, man. Yeah. Um, I probably won't go as long, because you did mention a lot of great stuff there. I didn't mean to go that long. No, I mean, you needed to. No, it was great. (laughs) I was just crossing off verses that you... (laughs) I saw that. Yeah, you're like, well, took what I was going to (laughs) say. No, that's good. Um, But yeah, it's all over Scripture. It's all over the New Testament which you brought up, um, because Paul, John, these writers need to write to the church their assurance, because they probably have the same question or a similar sounding question as this one does. Can we choose to turn away from God? Um, Can we lose salvation by denying Christ and possibly committing the ultimate sin? That's in Mark. Speaking of, Mark, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and you just said it, it, that means you're going to belong to yourself, or you're going to choose to belong to yourself and it's up to you rather than belonging to the seal of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That is the quintessential language from Paul that I see in the New Testament, especially in Ephesians. Um, I'll bring it up in a little bit, but he says that's that's the promised seal of the Holy Spirit on those who have placed hope in Christ. Yeah. But this is all over Hebrews. I think the most controversial passage in Hebrews is like right uh, at the beginning of chapter 6, and people are going to say, see, like, people can fall away. Mm -hmm. But you kind of said it really well there. I mean, I won't go too far into it. Hebrews 6, 1 through 6, this is the controversial passage. 
Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. So, like, we can't grow spiritually if we don't have the seal of the Holy Spirit. So, Paul's saying to those who are elect, let's all grow. Those of us who have been elect, we're going to prove, it's going to be proven that we're elect um, if those are the people who grow in their faith, grow spiritually, grow in maturity in faith. It goes on to say, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits, for it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word, and the powers of the coming age, they heard the gospel, basically. Yeah. <laughs> they were hanging out with the church people. They were hanging out with the elect. But verse 6, and who have fallen away. They were never, just as verse John said, they were never there. They were never yeah. truly It's like you said, part the parable of the, of the silver. It's all, it's the all over, yeah. yeah From yeah. parables to, yeah. to Pauline... Uh, epistles the first john you know it's all over the place people are going to fall away um people hear the message of the gospel but it doesn't take root yeah they're not elect that is kind of a mystery and that's why it's something so difficult for people to to grasp onto because it seems it looks like they did something it looks like they chose but you go on in Hebrews 6 uh, later in verses 13 through 20, continues to talk about the elect, the remnant, those who inherit the promise, and they do persevere. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. God gets the credit. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. God's not waiting for those people. He's not trying to figure out who those people are. He already selected who the heirs of the promise are, as yeah. the Father does. These are my children, right? He guaranteed it with an oath, it says. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. God chose those who are going to find refuge in him. They're going to have hope. Mm -hmm. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. Because he has become a high priest forever. We keep getting the language of who God is. He is sovereign. He is a high priest. Jesus came to us, God in flesh, returned to the throne in heaven. He knew everything that was going to happen this yeah. way. And he knows who is hearing his voice, and those are these who are taking refuge in God. And then you look at Hebrews. Um, Hang on a second before you leave yeah. that. I want to go to Hebrews 12, too. Yeah, uh, but, but I just want to highlight what you're saying. It says the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose. Yes. That's the immutability of God, that God does not change. He does not shift. Yeah. There's, he's, no, he's no moving shadow. <clears throat> and, then, and then, again, the emphasis of this whole section is assurance of our faith. 
Yep. It's so we can have an assurance of the hope of our faith. That's what I want to show. People get messed up here thinking you can fall away, that you have salvation, then you can't. But then you don't have to go far. It's in the same passage that tells you about the assurance of hope for the believer. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to go far. These are who's inheriting the promise. It's all in the same, the same breath in that passage. Um, and I want to stay in Hebrews because you brought up a lot about um, those who are going to experience suffering. Those yeah. who are going to experience discipline from God. Like, you you wouldn't choose to be saved by God and then choose to be disciplined and go through suffering as a Christian. Like, Neil mentioned earlier, we're trying to turn the heater up in here and be comfortable. Like, that's, that's our natural desire. <laughs> right. You don't just muster up this desire. The Spirit has to give you this desire. It says in Hebrews 12, 7 and 8, Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. There are going to be those, well, everybody's going to endure some kind of suffering in this life. We live in a fragmented, imperfect, sin-rotten world, and so everybody's going to experience suffering. But those who have uh, a lens to look through, a worldview to look through, go... This suffering is, is creating, it's growing me more into a disciple of Christ. It's going to actually have um, purpose to make me more Christ-like. You can't just think that way. Yeah. The Spirit has to give you that. Others are going to say, I don't like this discipline. I hate this. Yeah. Life is terrible. Growing up for is growing old is for wussies. Isn't for wussies. Like <laughs> any catchphrase you can think of. We're not going to view it as, oh, God is doing something in this. Yeah. And then speaking of Romans, which we'll get into in six for 16 weeks. 16 I weeks. brought this up last week, Romans 11, 29, mm-hmm. and this is what I wanted to throw to last week, but I said I would wait. <laughs> the time has come. Romans eleven twenty nine. It's right here in a few words, in one verse, the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. You don't lose that. You don't lose that. So, yeah, the calling. Is, yeah, the that's the calling that we just read a few chapters early in eight. Yeah, yeah. the P. Those is, whom he called. The P in tulip is like the least controversial. I feel like. Yeah. Of all, it's like the most clear all over the place in, if in you, scripture. If your works can, if you can lose your salvation yeah. because of your works, then you have to believe that your salvation was because of your works. Yeah. Because if not, then you're saying that. Your works are more powerful than the works of the cross. My sin is more powerful to to lose me than Christ's work was to save me. Yeah. So my sin, whatever it can be, stealing, lying, adultery, whatever, what I can do is actually stronger and and more powerful mm-hmm. than Christ's redeeming work on the cross. And that's putting you in a very, very dangerous point of view, I think. Because you're saying that 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 you're you have more power than the cross, essentially, other than if you believe in a works-based salvation, then that your salvation initially was because of your works. Yeah, and 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 most Arminians wouldn't say they believe in a works-based salvation. Mm-hmm. No, and and so that's why I say that because they st- they still hold to a non-works salvation, but they believe their works would be enough to override the works of Christ. We are saved by works. We're saved by Christ's works. And so if Christ's works is powerful, Christ's works are 
powerful enough to save us, there's no way that we are more powerful in our sin than what Christ did on the cross. There's just no way. Yeah, I don't want people to think I'm cherry-picking using that one verse in Romans, Romans 11, 29. I say that it's all packed in there because that's like the exclamation point there from Paul where almost all of Romans yeah. 1 through 11 is saying Christ did it, Christ did it, Christ did it, Christ did this work for all those who are Israelite descendants here in this church because it's a good mix in in the Roman church and those who are outside of Israel Yeah, that God is grafting in. Yeah. This is this exclamation point. The gifts and call of God to these people, the elect people, he doesn't take it away. He's not surprised that, I think Neil said this last week, like, you don't disappoint God. He's not like, oh, man, now you disappointed me this time. Yeah. He knows your entire life, and he he's already called those sheep. Yeah, and to that point, um, <clears throat> like, we're, we're using a lot of <laughs> verses from Romans, and it might feel like we're cherry-picking them, but the truth is we just can't unpack everything in this time. Yeah. And, we're, and it's actually we're picking a lot of verses from Romans because Paul is making one coherent argument he's mm -hmm. building he builds upon his arguments as he moves from chapter to chapter and he and it all builds and grows up to this point which is why you know we get to 11 and that's already been built on the previous chapters of six seven and eight and then nine as well and ten um so yeah and that's and that's just this is where paul heads like directly to, into this topic yeah like he addresses it head on um other places too but no more as specifically as Romans does. Yeah, Romans is what God used to change the whole trajectory of Martin Luther, Augustine, and many others. So that's a big part of their testimony. It was, yeah, it's it's an it's it's a further revelation of God's plan. It's a further revealing of the of what God has been doing all along, uh, like Hebrews, His unchangeable character. None of this is news to God. This was always the plan, but we now know more of the more of the parts and the pieces. Yeah. Because more has been revealed to us through through Romans. That'll preach. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey guys. You're still here. You <laughs> 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 scared me. That's about all the time we have for All right. Today. Well, thanks for watching. <laughs> well, let me fix the mess you guys have made. Oh, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. No, everything. Yes, amen to everything you guys said. Um, I this question. I've handled this question. I've handled this question in a sermon series. Um, you know, can a believer who thinks they're elect, which may be according to Calvinism, Calvinism, not that specifically that part, but can people choose to turn away from salvation? Will, will a Christian? Can a Christian lose their salvation? And hey, years ago, I was thinking about this, and we did the sermon series back in I think it was twenty, I think it was twenty eighteen. We did a Q and A sermon series. And I really dug in and thought about this question, you know, can a Christian lose their salvation? And, and what I realized is that, and, and I'm not trying to be cool and flip things around, but the question is flawed. It, it, to me, that's, you can't ask that question. Can a Christian, can a Christian lose their salvation? The, the, the question you can't ask is, can God lose a Christian? You know, can a Christian lose their salvation makes it so that salvation belongs to the Christian. But that's not what the scriptures teach. Psalm 3 tells us that salvation belongs to who? Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so can God lose a, a, a Christian? Can God lose, like yeah. you pointed out, you know, and that's where... works would override the cross. Right, yeah. exactly. So it's the question is flawed. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Mm -hmm. To me, when you ask that question, um, you don't understand who's protecting salvation, who salvation belongs to. I have a savings account for my son. 
that every week I put some money in and it's going to help for braces. And we've got a little 529 for his college and all of that. And, and that's, that's money that is Henry's, but I'm protecting it right, right. now. He doesn't, scripture talks about that inheritance that's waiting for us. And I know you got the prodigal son and the prodigal son takes that early inheritance and all that, but that's not a, that's not a really a, a necessarily the best representation of what, of you can make that work in salvation. I understand that that's part of what that's for, but, but God is protecting that for his children. Just like Henry doesn't have access to his savings account and he won't have access to it, I'll decide uh, when that's going to get used and I'll decide when he's ready to to receive that. Uh, it's the same with salvation, like that. Yes. This idea of you know when we die, we inherit this eternity, the, the righteousness of of Christ, you know, is imputed to us, and we're no longer charged. We're justified. All of that in in. Do we experience salvation on this earth now? Yes, in part. That which we know in part now, we'll know in full. That's not specifically that text speaking about salvation, more spiritual gifts, but part of the entire plan. We experience the benefits of that salvation now. We get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all this. But the actual idea in what this person says, do they still make it to heaven? That's the ultimate inheritance, right, is making it to heaven. God protects that. So when you ask a question like, can a Christian lose salvation, it makes it seem like God has these tickets. You get a ticket to heaven, and I give you your ticket, Mark, to heaven, and Chad, your ticket to heaven, and it's on you. You lose that ticket, you're you're out. It's too important. It's too tied to what Christ did. It's too tied to God's ultimate redemption story of his people. He doesn't give us this ticket to heaven and then put it on us to somehow how keep it. Uh, that That's not how it works. He's got all the tickets. He's got the master list. And when you die, he's going to check that list and go, yeah, you're on, you're on the list. So God is protecting that inheritance. And I want to talk about the difficulty that we, I think, often have is we know people who, like we talked about, it seemed like they were really in. And I want to say that there's a difference between professing something and possessing something. You can profess a lot of things, um, and you can profess that you're a Christian. I, you can you see this happen to people on resumes sometimes, uh, where they claim to have a certain degree or certain experience, and, and when you really check up on it, they didn't go to that college or they didn't really work for that company. References and, and employment checks are there for a reason, because people profess all kinds of things. I refinanced my house several years ago. I let, uh, you know, I think Brenda was here at the time, Brenda, I was like, hey, they're going to call for verification of employment. Why do banks call for verification? Because people profess things all the time that aren't true. You can profess anything, uh, and you can even profess it with a certain level of believability because you're, you're, you're wearing the gear. You're, you're walking the walk, so to speak. You're talking the talk. I've used the example before of I tried to be a swimmer once and I went out and I bought the gear. I had the goggles and the earplugs and I had the, the, the cap. I even had a, uh, you know, some swimming trunks, like a speedo type of thing, but not like a speedo speedo. And, and I got into the pool and I was still not a swimmer. I looked like a swimmer, but I was not a swimmer. So we can profess a lot of things, but there's a difference between professing something and possessing something. And we don't possess salvation. It belongs to the Lord. 
but we do possess it in that he gives it to us. It's He's holding it for us. It is ours, but we don't have control over that. Just like Henry, that money is Henry's. I don't dip into that fund to pay the electric bill. That money has been set apart for Henry for whatever he's going to need in the future. His college, braces, contacts, whatever, whatever it winds up being. And even though that's, I am in possession of it, he is, he's an heir to that. That's his inheritance. And I want to go to uh, Jude 124, talking about cherry picking here right at the end. But I think this is important, right? Uh, Jude's a, a very short book, one chapter. And in Doxology at the end, it says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. He's going to present you blameless. Why would we need to be, where are we going to be presented blameless, right? Postmortem, when we get to heaven, we're going to be presented blameless. And, and it says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. What's that mean? That means you're not going you're not going to, and that stumbling there, it doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. doesn't mean that you don't sin. It's talking about, you know, apostasy. It's talking about turning away, all of that. It That God protects his elect from from doing that. The next question, and we can kind of tie this in, uh, that this uh, listener asks, and we'll probably finish out next week with uh, question seven, is how do a believer know that he or she is elect? Because you, because you don't turn away. You, you don't you don't have that. It doesn't mean you don't have moments of struggle, moments of doubt, moments of sin, but just like part of the salvation that God is protecting is not just that eternal salvation, but it's that earthly uh, life that God gives those and calls those to that he's been given. We talked about faith and belief, right? We can believe a lot of things, and I've said this from the stage many times, you can believe in a lot of things, but, but faith, it results in the action of that belief. We all believe that if we slept more, ate healthy and exercised, we'd feel better. But there's a difference between believing and putting faith in that. We put your faith in that you actually try to sleep more, you diet, and you exercise. Uh, that belief leads to, to action. And so what God does for his elect is he, he prevents them from stumbling. He prevents them from, we'll say, choosing to follow him or not, choosing to believe in him or not. He's protected that inheritance for them. Do they still make it to heaven since Calvinism teaches perseverance of the saints? Uh, Calvinism doesn't get somebody to heaven, perseverance of the saints. Uh, it, it's not this idea of, like you've said, Mark and Chad, like you don't, your works can't earn your way into heaven. That's not how it works. God protects that in the byproduct of God giving a person faith is that that faith will lead to action. Good works don't get us into heaven, but good works are the evidence that we will be in heaven because the desire to do the good works that God has planned in order for you to do, Ephesians 2, I think 10, um, he's, he's created us in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he's prepared in advance. We, we do those through the leading of his spirit. So don't let the fact that you knew somebody in youth group when you were younger that you know went to church camp and they even worked at a church. We see these uh, people deconstructing their faith right all the time, and we go, "Wow, man, they led a church. They were a lead pastor at the church, and now they don't believe." Certainly, you can lose your salvation. And I would say what Mark said, quoting John chapter two, they went out from among us because they were never really with us. 
Mm-hmm. Well, why would God allow them to have a ministry and allow to do some preach in vain, some preach out of selfish, selfish pursuit? I don't know why God chose to use that as a as a means to glorify Himself. I mean, if you can, you know, go out in nature and look at a tree and give God glory uh, just by the very appearance of the nature, someone even through selfish ambition and gain sharing the truth of God's word with a with a bad motive, God can still get glory from that because there's uh, power in his in his word. And God uses broken people all the time because that's what he had it's I want to say what he had it's what he's chosen to do because we're all we're all broken. So don't let this idea that you know somebody is appears to be walking with the Lord don't let that throw you because we can profess all kinds of things, but that possession of salvation uh, that is that is God's God, uh, salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, you don't lose that salvation because you'd somehow have to figure out how to, like Jesus says, you'd have to pry it out of his out of his hands. And so uh, the question is, can God lose a Christian? And the answer is no, he, he can't. Um, I think that'll do for now. Ah, one more thing. <laughs> one more thing. First uh, John 5.13 is uh, just speaking about assurance. Yeah. Um, I want to read... I'm going to read a little bit of a little bit of this. So, uh, starting in verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world: our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God. And then listen to this, that he has been born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has been born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Listen to what John says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. God wants us to have assurance. He wants us to know. He wants us to have that confidence. And he gives us that confidence through his Holy Spirit. He gives that confidence to the elect. It's part of the package deal. It's part of that assurance uh, and part of that faith and part of that salvation. Again, it doesn't mean you don't have your moments where you're struggling because of your circumstances. I wish this wasn't happening. God, where are you at? I know you're there. You have moments, but your moment doesn't become the standard, right? The standard that you turn away from the faith. If you turned away from the faith, you never really had faith. You were professing. Uh, you you were not in possession of that which God holds secure and, and safe. I think that's a really good analogy with the custodial account for your son, that you have that. Yeah. Like you're, you're setting oh, this apart for him. 
Um, that's a really good way to look at it. And um, I guess it falls in line with the prodigal son. Like he could spend all that. Yeah. Once he gave it to him. But the real inheritance is he has a relationship with his father. Yeah. He can come back home. That was the whole point of the prodigal son. And then the older brother is like, what in the world? I've been obedient the whole time. He's like, yo, I've got the same possession for both of you, and I possess both of you. <laughs> right. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you respond. Um, yeah, the inheritance there is not necessarily the wealth. It's not the wealth. It's not the wealth. It's the love of the father. Exactly. Yeah, and the love, of the, the love father of the father didn't didn't really change. That's what that's yeah. what is protected there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna keep showing up, um, regardless of the suffering, regardless of um, whatever obstacles are in your life. You're gonna keep showing up. Repentance. We've talked about it. Repentance is the defining quality. That's what happened with the prodigal son who ran away. He was repentant and came back. Yeah. Um, so I guess there was something you said a little earlier, Neil, where you were like, they're not going to fall away. And somebody would say like, well, it looks like the prodigal son fell away for a time. But it's like you just said, I just wanted to kind of wrap that thought up. Like he didn't lose anything because the love of the father had him. Yeah. It's, he's a yo-yo. Like yeah. he's still on the string. He's like just because he's not in the yeah. hand, it doesn't mean that he's not controlled by the hand. Right. You know, so there was that string and, and the Lord, there's always that, that yeah. string that God has thread in our life. And so even though we don't feel like we're in the hand yeah. or look at somebody and go, they're not in the hand when they come back, you know, that I've sat with, I've sat with, and this is happened with parents uh, quite often and, and yeah. my heart just breaks for them because they're, they, they brought their kids up in the church. They tried to train them in the way they should go. They shared the gospel message with them and their kids are not walking with the Lord. And they're like, do you think, you know, my my son or my daughter, uh, you know, was really in youth group. And even as a, a young adult, adult early on was going to church, but now they want nothing to do with it. Do you think they're still going to get into heaven? And the answer is always, I don't know. That's between them and the Lord, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Yeah. I said, it's, it's one of two things. They're either in a prodigal period or, or they're, they're, we're never in faith. They were, they were bad soil. Uh, the the seed fell on soil. Well, how do I know? Time, time, mm -hmm. you know, and you may never get to get to know because at the end of the day, and I think the thief on the cross is a great example of this at the, at the witching hour, you know, God can come in and change the heart of an individual. And, and so we, we hold out to that hope for those that we know that we love that are not in faith and not walking in, in a period to either be in a prodigal period or, or appear to be, uh, not good soil. Yeah. It's difficult though. Judas was a disciple of Jesus and then completely turns on him. Are you guys of the thought that like he actually re was repentant at the end when he feels apologetic or was it just that he's just like, Oh boy. Oh, that was, <laughs> that was no. Yeah. I am too. I don't think he was repentant, but I wanted to see where you guys thought. No, that's a I good said, picture it, of what's no, going on. I mean, he, he was called the son of destruction. Yeah, it would, it, it, Jesus is like better if he wasn't born. Yeah, he's gonna. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but I, that I also, bring it up. it's an interesting. Well, yeah, it is. It yeah. demonstrates God's. That also demonstrates God's purpose of election. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. He's, he was a vest. Yeah, son of destruction. Vessel of wrath. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he looked you look like at, a disciple. He was a poser. Or like Ananias and Sapphira. So Ananias and Sapphira were. You know, in on the ground floor, they were at the early church, right? Yeah, seemingly part of what was going on. You know, Hebrews six, maybe even, and clearly, 
not of the church. Yeah. So then the, you know, you want to ask, well, did they believe? And then they had salvation for two, two weeks and then they decided to lie and then lost their salvation. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's ultimately not your, that's too, it's too small a view of God Mm -hmm. because ultimately does God not know what's going to happen next? Right. This is when I started wrapping, trying to wrap my mind around the doctrines of grace. Mm -hmm. This is something that I had to sit and think about for a long time. And it really started probably the first thought that started to shift my thinking. And it was dealing with God's sovereignty and God's omniscience. If God is truly omniscient, and we would say he is, then he knows how things are going to pan out. If he knows how things are going to pan out, he knows who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. If he does that, if he knows that, is there anything we can do to really change that? And then that was that line of thinking got me down the path of God's sovereignty. Yeah. Because if God doesn't ultimately know who is going to be saved, then he's not omniscient. Okay. Or well, if we could change his mind. Well, maybe he's not. Yeah. If he could ultimately change his mind, he's not sovereign. If he's not, if he can change his mind, he's not, he's, he's not immutable. He can yeah. change. Yeah. And if he can change, then how can I trust him at all? How maybe, maybe next week he's going to change his mind again. And, and maybe Christ's offer of redemption is revoked. Mm-hmm. Maybe the offer, you know, back to the old law. Like, yeah, maybe he's going to go back to, back to the sacrificial system or back to, or maybe onto a newer new covenant. Yeah. So newer than new <laughs> this, but a couple weeks ago, we talked about the incompatibility of God's sovereignty with God's salvation, God's omniscience and God's, and, and the perseverance of the saints. If ultimately God know either he knows the future, or he doesn't. And if he doesn't know it completely, even if he knows it, even if he only knows 98% of the future, yeah. he's not sovereign and he's ultimately not God. He's ultimately not a God we can ultimately trust because that 2% could still throw him off. So which view ultimately gives God more glory? The view that God is sovereign and is omniscient and knows the future, which he has tried very hard to demonstrate to us through centuries of prophecy in the Old Testament, prophesying even the Messiah, things that were documented hundreds of years before they came to pass and then came to pass, that we have written down that archaeology has even verified, and now even the book of Revelation that he has given us future prophecy, something that still have yet to take place, that he's trying to tell us, I know the future. <laughs> I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And from that, we have to believe that God ultimately knows how it's going to pan out because if if he doesn't we have no reason to trust him and yet that's the one thing he calls us to do is to trust him so if you're on the on these lines maybe start there that's where i started yeah because there's there's some incongruity with the logic of this idea that we can lose our salvation one day gain it back the next and ultimately ultimately this is going to affect how you view God, mm-hmm. but it's not going to affect how you evangelize. Because when we answered question six, we ultimately don't know who is elect and who's not. Yeah. And so as Romans 10 said, we already talked about our calls to evangelize, to preach. 
and God uses us in the process of salvation, not as, as a mode of salvation, but as part of the method of salvation. He incorporates us. He includes us. It's a blessing. But ultimately, salvation belongs to him. And that's what's, that's what's displayed throughout Scripture. Adam and Eve had every opportunity to live a blessed life, every opportunity. They literally were in the presence of God, and they messed it up. Israel was given all the, the blessings of the promise, promises. <clears throat> they messed it up. They couldn't keep the covenant. So what happens? God says, I'm going to do it myself. And Christ is that demonstration that ultimately salvation is only going to come by his hand. Yeah. Amen. We done? What else? <laughs> what, else what else we got? Yeah, we kind of touched on uh, question six. How does a believer know that he or she is elect? Um, and again, I think we talked about... Uh, I referenced like you, you you don't have those you have those moments but you're not you're in faith you continue to be in in faith like I would say um that you know there's no how do we test to see if other people are elect like you just said like you can't you can't know that I think it's you know our, our relationship with the Lord is very personal a personal thing and I think we need to be realistic in our relationship with the Lord. And just because you are the elect, uh, doesn't mean that you don't have Romans seven moments. I don't think anyone of us would argue that Paul was elect yet. He had his moments where he was struggling. Obviously he was having an issue with pride. So God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming uh, proud or any, any more proud. Uh, people have debated. We've talked about it on this podcast, what Paul's thorn in that flesh was, you know, I've, openly said, I think it was some type of sin. Uh, nothing humbles you like sin. Nothing drives you back to the father like sin. You read Romans seven, he's doing something that he's disgusted with. He's disgusted with himself in Romans seven and, uh, he's confused and he does a, in Romans seven is such a, a, uh, such an interesting chapter and can be a very difficult chapter. It's not him that's doing it, it's the sin in him. And we talked about that um, and we'll talk about that even more. But how does a believer know that he or she is elect? If you have salvation, because God gives salvation to those that he elects. And I think that assurance of salvation uh, comes. I have doubted, I've never doubted my salvation. I have been frustrated with how God has worked out my salvation <laughs> at times. Uh, you know, how he is, it's difficult. Life is difficult. You know, I'm not, I haven't been pumped about the health issues that, you know, we've had in our family or the challenges that we've had. Um, but I don't live there. It's, it's not a standard in my life. Like I recognize it for what it is. I have my Davidic moment, if you will. Uh, God remove your right hand of suffering from me. Like, okay, let's do this. But then you submit and you, and you, you gain peace. Um, again, we'll go back to Jesus in the, in the garden. Jesus was clearly... <laughs> You know, he's, he's God and Jesus is certainly there to do the work of the father. Uh, and Jesus was wanted the father's will to be done. But, but even, even Jesus in that moment displays for us that you can have your moment of, of mourning, recognizing this is going to be difficult. And that man, if we could do this another way, not doubting the plan of, of redemption at all. Um, so I think you have to ask yourself, like, you know, what are you doubting? Are you, are you really doubting who, 
Christ is? Are you down in the good news of Jesus Christ? Or are you just frustrated at times with how he's working out that salvation and faith in, in your life, how he's getting you from where you are to where he wants you to be? Because if he's working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes, that, that means he's working things. There's a journey happening here, right? You plan your steps. Uh, you, as hard man plans his course, the Lord determines his steps. That can be, that can be difficult, at times, you look at Paul even reviewing, you know, his uh, journey, you know, being shipwrecked and being beaten and being stoned, and, and there's a there's difficulty to it. And so if you are wondering <laughs> if you were elect or not, uh, you know, make sure you're asking the, the right the right questions. Like, what are you what are you doubting? What are you um struggling with what are you is it a sin issue okay let's you know knowing jesus doesn't make you sinless but it should make you sin less so you you can look back you can examine uh, and, and take a look at your life and look at that journey are you making are you making progress remember the call is not to be perfect but to make to make progress um and don't i don't i mean the, the work of evangelism doesn't change, like you said, Mark. And I don't think we need to go around trying to figure out, okay, is Chad elect his name? Okay, Chad seems to be displaying fruit in his life. I'm not going to share the foundations of the gospel message with Chad. I'm going to work on discipleship through connection, not conversion with Chad. I look at Mark, spiritual maturity. I'm not going to work on discipleship with through conversion with Mark. Like you you can examine people. You look around. Um, so uh, don't spend too much time, uh, you know, uh, on it, it should be pretty, pretty obvious uh, in in many ways. Um, so yeah. Any other thoughts? Um, nah. Any? <laughs> <laughs> nah. Nah. You got any percolating up there? No. No. My thoughts are spent. Let's see. Why is the feeling for the only Yeah, we'll hit number seven next week. And then we've got a few more questions. We can kind of round the bases on. Uh, this uh, list of grievances for for Calvinism. I hope this has been helpful. Um, there's a certain level of, we'll say, rep, there's a there's a repetitive nature to some of this, and and you know some redundancy in what we've been going over the last three weeks. But the hope is is that you can say the same thing about a hundred different ways, and about the seventieth time you say it, it clicks in one person that has heard it seventy times and. Other people, it'll take 150 times to click. Other people, it clicks the first time. And um, I think these things are worth taking, uh, these questions are worth taking seriously and, and addressing um, many, many, many times. This isn't the first, you know, three-week stint, you know, that we've talked about Calvinism. This is the first time we've talked about this idea of the elect and predestination. It's a really heavy, weighty concept um, that, that I think, again, weighs on people's hearts and minds and so much of it is tied to emotion, I think, you know, uh, because of uh, friends, family, people that, you know, children that have apparently were with the Lord and, and walked away and they prayed that prayer, but there's um, no evidence that they're in faith now and something tragic happens and, well, they prayed that prayer and so they must be in heaven because, you know, the perseverance of the saints and uh, it, it's worth going over these things and reminding ourselves of these things because... Mark, like you shared, when you really sit down and you think about who God is and you think about his sovereignty, ultimately, this uh, this doctrine, these doctrines of grace, if you will, um, the idea that God chooses is the most glorifying and edifying to the Father. 
in in my opinion um because god gets all the credit we don't we don't possess any of it we don't get we can't look back and go wow like you know what i was a mess and i cleaned myself up and got back in church and it was tough but you know i broke these habits and i had some good people that came alongside of me and i got in this program and or whatever it is where we're giving humans credit for something that only god can can do in in my mind god choosing i'm great with it i love it i prefer it like you talked about last week why do i want to drive a car that god is willing to steer when it comes to my salvation i don't want to earn it because if i earn it then i can lose it you know if i gave henry his custodial account money yeah and said go he got some Christmas money. We went up at Target, and he's like, "Yeah, hey, Christmas money, right?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "I want these." He pointed out three uh, smoke detectors that he wanted. They're like sixty dollars a pop, hundred eighty dollars in smoke detectors that uh, we don't need and he can't use. He'd blow it, yeah, right, just like the prodigal son. He doesn't know, and so <laughs> I'm buying. I'm buying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't want any part of it. Because I know, I, I know what I would do yeah. <laughs> if salvation yeah. belonged to Neil. It, I'd be a mess. Mm. <laughs> I'd be a disaster. I can. It, it belongs to God, and sometimes I'm like, "Am I sure I have an account up there?" Because <laughs> like, <laughs> just because you do, you fight. Yeah, that's in nature. Yeah, that that. Um, yeah. When you look at yourself, and uh, I heard John MacArthur say something one time. Um, talking about uh you know victory over sin and he was saying uh something along the lines of when somebody asked him you know this this stage in your life do you still fight sin in the same way and he said no i've gotten better the lord has gotten better i sin less he said but i feel worse you know that was really interesting because because the longer you're in faith you the the more you start to see what the who the standard is and so you just get and i think this is what happens happening in romans 7 you get absolutely disgusted by just the little and just you're like i should know better so spiritual maturity is, is sinning less but in many ways feeling worse about the sin that you do you do have because that you truly begin to understand that the standard is christ you're not comparing yourself to your friends or your you know your buddies your girlfriends whoever it is I thought that was interesting, um, and an interesting take on it. Yeah, but that's what you—that's what you see. I think over over time. But. Tell me what you guys think about this fortune cookie theology statement. <laughs> a friend once told me, "Think like a Calvinist, work like an Arminian." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought, was that your response, Mark? Or you've heard it before. I've heard it before. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I've also heard, Trash. you know, everybody's, um, or, you know, everyone's an Arminian until you start to pray mm. for salvation. Mm. Because you, you know, you believe it's, you know, you know, you preach a good enough sermon, someone's going to accept Christ and it's their decision. But then when you pray for that person, you pray, Lord, you know, Lord change their heart, you know, draw, draw them to yourself, call, mm. you know, give them basically, yeah. you're praying for their salvation appropriately, but you're still <laughs> believing that it's their decision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, one thing I'll, maybe I'll, maybe we'll maybe I'll put a bow tie here, my bow tie today. Yeah. Okay. Like when I was going through all this, I was raised Arminian and I, I, for 20 years 
and um, almost antagonistically uh, mm-hmm. to the doctrines of grace and Calvinism. Um, and I, I went to a, a school that taught the opposite and uh, that's where I started thinking about it. So I, I've been on both sides of this and it was a long, long time putting in just a lot of thought put into it. Were you still working um, through some of that when you first started here or was it, had you landed mm, already at that point? Uh, I don't, I, I was, I don't Fairly know if I was grounded. still working through okay. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Something was off. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just wondering. But one thing, like one thing really I. Really dodged a bullet there. <laughs> One of my big objections, I mentioned the, you know, the God's, God's omniscience, but one of the, another big objection I had was one thing I couldn't wrap my mind around was how come so much of the new Testament is ethical? How come so much of it deals with our behavior? Mm-hmm. If our salvation is not rooted in our works, if our salvation is, is secured by Christ, why is there so much instruction on what we do and our and emphasis on our works and what we are to do? Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Uh, even like the things you mentioned in Hebrews and and talking so much about us, you know, fleeing immorality and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and 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 even just you know being a, a tree that bears fruit and the and the proper fruit and and uh, why is there so much instruction toward that um, in the New Testament? Because that's 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 the I can see why that's the impression it gives. Yeah, and that was the impression it gave me. Uh, and then I, I kind of, as I worked through that, I thought God's told us he's going to sanctify us and he's going to sanctify us through his word. And how do we get his word? So if we're going to be sanctified and turned into the image of Christ, that's not going to be, it's not going to be done in a download matrix Neo style where we are instantly transformed into Christ. How are we going to know what to do? Right. If a tree is known by its fruit, how does the tree know what fruit to make? Mm-hmm. How does a tree know ultimately what that fruit is? They need to be told. How are they told? We're told through the sun. Yep. We're told through the New Testament. We're told what it looks like, and we're given instruction. And so I, I, I had to wrestle with this. Is it our will or is it God's will? And ultimately, I could I could reconcile that with... Uh, the other verses that said, you know, it's God working through you. It's ultimately him finishing the process that he started. And we're being sanctified through his word, through the word of God. So he's He's reve- he's, our, he's like showed us his hand, so to speak. He's told us how he's going to work out our salvation. And we're doing it in real time through the New Testament. Yeah. Which is a, a mysterious thing. It it's, is. It's mysterious. It is. And yeah. also not. He's like showed us his hand and we're, we're, we're acting it out in real time. And this is how we're sanctified through his word. And it goes right back to Romans 10. How is anyone going to know the gospel unless someone preaches it? How are we going to know what it looks like to be Christ unless we have it told to us? And we're, it's told to us through the New Testament. So that's kind of how I, that's one of the, one of the things I had to overcome. Like the, the tone and the message of the New Testament is, is very ethical. You know, this is right, this is wrong, do this, don't do that. A focus on our behavior. But ultimately, that behavior that we're told, that all, the, all these ethics we're taught, 
is the method that we're being sanctified. I've been accused over the years many, many times because of the style of preaching that I have. Is a, It seems like I'm telling people that they need to do works in order to become more like Christ. And that is precisely what I'm doing because that's precisely what the Bible does. But it's not, you know, take something like flee sexual immorality or flee youthful passions, right? Uh, Timothy, flee, flee these youthful passions. Not... Not everybody has that issue, right? You look at these long lists that Paul has, uh, you know, works of the flesh, uh, sexual immorality, you know, yeah. perversion, jealousy. Like there's I don't not have a problem being a warlock. I, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sorcery isn't my issue right now, yeah. but for somebody it is. Yeah. And so how God chooses to refine his children, like you said, Mark, is through his word. And so when you're a person that has been given faith and you have a desire to read God's word because God's implanted that desire in your heart. You love his law and you open it up and you read and it says, flee sexual morality. That's a problem for me. You know, I'm going to work on that, but it's that language. I'm going to work on it is not you working on it. It's the Holy spirit leading you to that text, working on it through you and and for you, the desire to, to uh, be sanctified, that, that desire to, make progress can only come from that spirit, right? You're either sin controlled or spirit controlled. And so on a Sunday, when you preach through a sermon series called the flesh and you tell people flee sexual immorality, stop being so jealous, stop, you know, being envious. Don't, you know, stop with the dissension, stop with the division. You're like, man, you're making it seem like I have to do all of these things. It's no, the Bible is telling you to do this. And that's how he's making you more like his, his son. And so it's a the mystery comes in the partnership that takes place, uh, that it is the spirit of God, and like you said, it's a mystery, but it's it's not like the spirit leads us to these things, presses in on on us in certain areas, leads us to His Word, helps us understand His Word, then motivates us to do those good works that He's prepared in advance for us to do. Good works doesn't earn you salvation, but when you when you God gives you faith, it's time to go to work, and that's how he that's how he works through his word to get his kids to be more like his son, his son Christ. And so, I've had people over the years. Well, you just need to preach the gospel. That is the gospel. That's the good news: is that God is working these things out yeah. through His Son, through His Spirit, to to make us be more like Christ. And the way that He does that is through His word i'm if you guys have ever seen those spy movies where somebody's a spy then they get deprogrammed they forget they're a spy and then someone goes up to them and they say like a series of words they're like you know whatever words it is you know butter knife hopscotch and all of a sudden they click that series of words brings back to memory all of those things it it's kind of like that we've got this spirit in us and God brings us to his word, and then he decodes that message for us. And we go, you know, butter knife, hopscotch. Man, I got to get my... <laughs> butter knife, hopscotch, man. I butter knife, hopscotch. I got to get this. I got to get this jealousy thing under control. Yeah. There's, We read the word, and it, it triggers us because that's where the spirit is teaching us. Oh, in the moment, you're like... You, what the real language is, I'm, I've got to surrender to the Spirit's work in me yeah. for this. I've got to surrender. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> like the the foolishness that Paul talks about 
is so clear. Stop being foolish. Right. <laughs> in Ephesians, I, I talked about this with high school students on Sunday night because we're in Ephesians 5, and that's where Paul is saying, don't be drunk on wine. Almost like the words, be drunk on the Spirit instead. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like this, um, uh, he's, he's, he's filling in what they used to know was life. Where they're at, like they're under Roman rule, their 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 culture is um, go to these parties where people are having sex with multiple partners, drinking till they throw up. Probably because it says sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs over each other. They're listening to loud music that doesn't honor God. That's the context I get, and you can see these high schoolers like the light bulbs going off. Like, yeah, that's high school culture or expectation. Like Paul is talking to a group of people who are in a culture where they're expected to party like that in their communities. And he says, be set apart, be set apart, all up to Ephesians 5. Be a set apart people. And then he shows them, be exposed to the household of faith, to the word of God. This is how you're sanctified. And what you just said, people coming up and saying, just preach the gospel, man. It's like, no, yes, but like, we are here as the church, and a purpose of the church is to encourage one another to be sanctified together. Yeah, <laughs> That's why this preaching is going on this way here. That's what Paul's doing in Ephesians. It seems like, yeah, just... And sucks. it's not just for us. It's because we represent Christ. We're his yeah. ambassadors. What's Peter say? Be holy, right. as I am holy. Right. You can't just muster it up and do that. Right. Be exposed to um, the Word of God, to the household of faith more, and the sanctifying work is experienced in your life that way. Mm -hmm. um, you don't just do it. You're more surrendered to the Spirit um, because the Spirit is telling you this is right. Yeah, you validating never, You never thought it word. was right before. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Happy well, birthday. Happy belated birthday. <laughs> Thank it's you. too late. <laughs> it's too late. You can always say happy belated birthday. I suppose you can. I'll die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, doggone it. Happy belated 21st, Chad. I missed I missed your 21st and Let's go party like I'm 21. Well, let's not. Just kidding. Let's sing let's sing loud psalms to one another today. Yes. Well, anyway. I think that's good enough for today. Unless anybody has any final thoughts and or Anything? No. Anything? No. Anything? All right. <laughs> Do you have any final anything at all? Nah. Now you're thinking? I am thinking. Interstellar right. was a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it. Uh, we didn't like it. Yeah, I know. I know. Am yeah. I not deep enough? Is that what the problem is? Or no. Did I it. miss something? No, you, we've talked about it. Your your style of movie is Superman. Is that it? Yeah. We know who's going to win. It feels good. You escape to like, this is going to be something that doesn't have anything to do with real life. Yeah. I don't want to feel much. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's not. Well, is that it? You don't want to feel the emotions? Some some of it is. Yeah. yeah. It's not, and it's not intentional, but it just, yeah. I think I just like to, I think, and this is not okay so but my mind never shuts off you guys get that like yeah. it just you know how it is it's just uh, you, you constantly are thinking about something in our in, a, in our line of work 
a lot of <laughs> what we talked about today. Like, this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. Yeah. Like God's word and our relationship with Christ and the heaviness of it. Are people going to heaven? Can people lose their salvation? Like none of this is light. And interstellar is a close second. And, <laughs> and so when I sit down, I admittedly don't want anything heavy. Yeah. Anything that, you know, requires me to, to, to dig a layer deeper or to investigate anything. Like to me, I'm like, look at that red semi truck. It's a robot now. <laughs> that's awesome. Like that's, it's simpler to me. And yes. I don't know. Yeah. I enjoy well, it. but that's also, I mean, <laughs> that's all, that could also continue now. the conversation of, of God's sovereignty, because if, if salvation truly was on us preaching the, a good message and the will of people responding to how good we preach, yeah, the burden would be too heavy for us to carry. Yeah. Like we, it, we, our, our heads would explode if we truly thought about the implications of that. Yeah. Like we wouldn't be able to rest as a pastor or as any Christian. Like if if you really believe that the power of salvation was in your hands and you could screw that up for somebody, you wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Right. Well, it took me some time when I first started preaching to to ease up on myself. Because like, either either you're not thinking it through, or you or you don't truly believe it. Right. Yeah. And for me, it's been that balance of going, okay, God, because I know preachers that have, don't prepare at all. And they're like, I'm just going to get up there and I'm just going to, whatever I feel in the moment, I'm just going to preach on that. I don't think that's it. You know, uh, I, I think that there's a certain level of preparedness, but when I first started preaching on a regular basis, like I would put a lot of pressure on myself to deliver what I felt was a good yeah. message. And now yeah. I work, I would say differently. I work very, very differently in as little as possible. <laughs> 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 i used to work a lot now it's yeah uh, now i buy them right yeah <laughs> well now i just pretend to be sick and make mark do it yeah and i'm like oh man we're gonna talk right now no no yeah. it's your birthday but right yeah good. when's your birthday next week yeah happy birthday my gift to you is preaching in my stead in in many ways though you are i do work less like because a lot of the work i did was uh worry i worried a yeah. lot yeah. Mm -hmm. i really and did and that's why i say that because i've talked to i thought about it i would think about it constantly i would sit there and tell rachel henry was a baby and i would just be on the couch she could attest to this and i would close my eyes and she and she's like and i'm like she's like what are you i'm like working like i would close my eyes all throughout the house and just constantly be reviewing ser the sermon going over it over and over and over and it, i was disconnected from my family in in many ways because i felt this real pressure like i had to produce something and then but you do right per per god's word right but ultimately you are called to produce that sermon but ultimately if the if the results are on your shoulders it's too heavy for you to carry well that's it i thought i was yeah. i thought i was on the hook not just for the the planting of the seed and the watering but the growing yeah and it, i had to come to realize like Paul's, it doesn't matter who waters. It doesn't matter who plants. The one who matters is yeah. the one who makes it grow. And if I didn't, if I didn't feel like it was going to help people grow, I back to the drawing board, back to the drawing board. And so you're absolutely right. I work less. I, I do work less hours than I did then. Uh, part of it is just you uh, do something long enough. You're able to do it. I'm sure you guys like the, you, you 
labor the same, but not put the, the same amount of hours into a, a sermon that you did when you first started writing it, because there, it's just even the simple things like, you know, the Bible better, you know, sit there and go, okay, what's that verse about, uh, Paul's saying he doesn't want to do what he wants to do. You know where to go. You know where to look. So that's part of it. But the other part of it is just I've gotten to the point where I've learned to to let go of that pressure and just trust that the Lord is going to, I've done everything I can do and I'm limited and it's not on me to to do the work. It's on him to do, to do that work. But yeah, so Transformers then. The Transformers. Yeah. Transformers. That'll breach. <laughs> well, thank you uh, for listening. Thank you for watching the Atrium episode seventy six. If you would like to submit a question to the Atrium, you can email podcast at hopechristianchurch.com or you can text your question to four four zero hope two two two. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Thank you, Pastor Chad. We will see you for episode seventy seven. Goodbye. <laughs>